We'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you give us a call? It's 291-6901. And should you happen to be out of our local area code, which is 225. That's right. You can reach us live today on the radio. That's right. Just go ahead and put the 225 in front of there, and you'll get us from anywhere inside the United States. And if you're outside, if you know the country code, you can do that as well. So we're accessible to anywhere around the world this morning. Pretty much. (laughs) (laughs) If your local phone system handles those kinds of numbers and calls. Pretty much you can dial that from anywhere on Earth. At least anywhere I've ever been on Earth. There you go. (laughs) And admittedly, I've not been everywhere, but I've been a lot of places. There you go. (laughs) But you can always call those old phone systems. I tell you, I don't know if Alexander Graham Bell knew exactly what he was. Where it was going to be today. (laughs) Where he was going with all this when he invented it. But he did a good thing. Oh, I'm telling you. There you go. And of course, it's kind of evolved along the way. (laughs) Oh, has it evolved? There you go. Give us a call, 291-6901. Be glad to try to help you out and point you in the right direction. I thought we would talk a little bit today about check engine lights and warning lights, just okay. because that is one of the number one calls we get, and also one of the number one email that I receive. Right. Seems like I get that email just so, 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 so much. And I think it's probably one of the least understood systems on a car. Kind of an ironic thing. A lot of people think they understand it, mm-hmm. but they really, really don't. And I guess the people who are best off are those who don't know anything at all. Light comes on, they bring it in and get it fixed. There you go. They're probably the best off. But the people who are really behind the eight ball are the guys and gals who maybe used to tinker with their cars. Right. And so now they go and they see a check engine light. So, okay, what do I do with this? Well, they go buy a code reader and they read a code and then they go start changing parts. And you can just go so, so far wrong. Oh, most definitely. Without the knowledge of how this system works. And what we get all the time, people will bring, well, I want you to put the car on the machine. Well, there is there's no, no There is there, no, no, no magical machine. machine. <laughs> yeah. There's a series of machines. There are any number of devices that you have to use. Each one gives you a small view of what you're going after. It reminds me for all the world of the old fable of about the five guys and the elephant. The, the five blind men and the elephant. All right, you're going to have to explain it now. Well, you have five <laughs> blind men, and they walk up to an elephant, okay. and each one walks up and touches the elephant and gets an impression. Well, one touches the elephant on the side, says, well, elephant's much like a wall. Okay. Another one touches the tail, says, no, elephant's like a rope. Another one touches a trunk, and, and on and on okay. it goes. And the point of the fable is, if you have a limited view of perspective, then you're going to get a limited amount of information. Correct. doesn't mean it's wrong. It's just very, very limited taken out of the context and of course with our senses we can look and see we can smell we can hear we can touch we can feel we take all those things we put them together and we get a vision of what's going on around us that's fairly accurate for the most part Uh now when you go into a car and let's say you go in and you retrieve a code okay well you're getting one tiny piece of data right but you're not getting all the contextual data almost like a blind man touching an elephant and in just one spot you're getting just a very very limited amount of information and if you make a decision on that you're quite likely to be wrong now examples of that would be things like earlier this week we had a gentleman come in and he had a abs light that would come on when he got up to a certain speed okay so he ran the code on it and it came up and it said abs signal fault so he takes that to mean the sensor must be bad 
so he replaced the ABS sensor. And those aren't cheap. Well, no. This one was on a Nissan. I think it was about $180, $200. Okay, so we're already $200 into this. Right, plus okay. his time and trouble. Well, he goes drive the car away. I'm light pops back on. All right. Darn. So maybe it's the wire. So he goes and gets a connector, cuts the harness, solders in the connector, uh-huh. did a nice job of it, but still same problem. Right. Well, at that point, I guess he probably should have stopped and, and realized he was in over his head, but he didn't, and he got on the internet and someone suggested it could be the bcm the brake control module ebcm right because it may just not be interpreting the signal because you know the signal is there because you just changed the sensor and the wire so that means you know the signal's got to be good which is a false piece of information in the first place so he changes the ebcm and of course the light is still on well eventually he brings the car to us and we check and the first thing we notice is we put a scope on a signal and it's very erratic it's dropping out at low speed, it can read, but as you go faster, it starts to drop out. Uh-huh. And that's when it throws a code, and the ABS light pops on, and on and on it goes. Well, did a little bit more checking, and I noticed it had a new drive axle in it. Well, someone had replaced the drive axle, and it was a remanufactured axle, and apparently, whenever they remanufacture these axles, they sandblast them to clean them up. Mm-hmm. Well, someone had got just a little crazy with the blasting nozzle on the little tone wheel, and it had distorted the little teeth. It had just kind of rounded them off. Right. They're not square anymore. Instead They're kind of, of rounded on top. Sharp square edge. Now you had like a rounded edge because somebody got a little crazy with the blasting nozzle. Well, what would happen? These little round humps would go by. Well, at 20 miles an hour, it could read just fine. But 30 miles an hour, the signal started getting a little cruddy, but it could still pick it up 40, 45. By the time you got to 50 miles an hour, this little wheel with the rounded teeth was spinning around. Well, it couldn't read any longer. So it would skip it. Now, what does the computer do? Because... A computer only knows you're garbage in, garbage out. All it knows is that I'm supposed to be seeing between 0 and 5 volts alternating on this wire, and it's supposed to be going up and down in a square wave pattern, and it's not. So the only thing it knows is to turn throw, the light on. throw a sensor code out uh-huh. because it says, okay, the sensor's not reading. So it throws a sensor code. Well, if you go in and you just take and change the sensor, you're not going to get anywhere. If you change the wire, you're not getting anywhere. If you change the BCM, you could change any number of parts you want. You're not going to get anywhere because you're looking at one tiny piece of data. Mm-hmm. Now, with a scan tool, okay, yeah, we see this. But then when you put a lab scope on it and you go drive it while the problem's occurring, you, you can, see a whole different picture. You can watch the signal you can see, form and, and deform as it comes around. That's correct. And it ha- even at low speed, it had a square wave, but it was kind of a choppy square wave. It wasn't as good as it should have been, even at low speed. Mm-hmm. Well, by the time it got up to about 40 or 50 miles an hour, right. it was just dropping out. It couldn't see it. It couldn't see it any longer. It was just bypassing it and catching the next square tooth right? and realizing, hey, wait a minute, I missed the tooth. Yeah, something's wrong. Something's wrong, and bam, the light comes on. It throws out a code. What The code you can't ever, ever, ever take literally. And that's the problem that you get into. And that's just one example, but that just tells you when you're looking at a limited piece of information, which is what you're doing with a scan tool, Mm -hmm. you're looking at a very, very limited piece of information. That is not the diagnosis. That is only the beginning. That is the starting point for diagnosis. It also depends on how the program was written as to when this happens, it does the computer's gonna do this. Well, that's right. The programming in computers is from the engineer's perspective. Well, it's just a bunch of zeros and ones, and the engineers who software engineers sit down and say, okay, when this occurs, then generate this number and send it out to memory. And if this occurs, generate this number. And they're looking at 
different factors, and they say, okay, this will at least put them in the right area. Mm-hmm. But it's not a literal code. No, it's not. Even like you said, even between manufacturers, we took a Toyota pickup truck and a Chevrolet pickup truck right. side by side. We created a vacuum leak in both. Same vacuum leak on Same both. Same on both. We unplugged the brake booster mm-hmm. and created a what they call a gross leak mm-hmm. in the vacuum system. Right. The Chevrolet truck set a map sensor code. Right. And the Toyota set what did it mass uh, airflow mass airflow code. mass airflow sensor. And neither one of them had anything to do with each other, no, but they were if you changed either one of those sensors, you just still had you a weren't code. even close to the problem. Now it could also set an oxygen sensor code. Right. Because the airflow mixture is now wrong, it's too lean. So the oxygen sensor reads out of range. So it's going to set a code saying oxygen sensor out of range. And there have been thousands of oxygen sensors changed and not needed to be. Well, and it's not only just that they're wasting the money on the sensor. Let's say you've got a, and we go back to our present example with a vacuum leak, and it's not as clear as a vacuum hose off. Maybe it's an intake manifold that the gasket is leaking, which is hard to find in many cases. Well, the first thing it does, it throws out an oxygen sensor code. Well, you go to the parts store, you buy an oxygen sensor put on. This oxygen sensor is now defective. So now you've so, got two problems and don't realize. Well, but you got the same code. Right. Because it already had an oxygen sensor code. It's still got an oxygen sensor code. So now you go off, you say, well, what else could it be? Well, maybe it's this, maybe it's that, maybe it's this, maybe it's the other. Right. Because the part you just put in, you're assuming is good. Right. Which is not. Which is so not. So you've now got two problems. Now, when you bring the car into the shop, they go in, they smoke test the vehicle, they find out that they've got an intake leak, uh-huh. but we've also got a bad oxygen sensor. Okay, well, where'd that come from? Right. You see, and it, it looks new, so yeah, yeah, yeah. But you have just doubled the amount of work they're going to need to do. They're going to have to diagnose Diagno- two Diagnostic now. time. And it also can send even them off on a tangent because maybe this sensor reads something totally wrong or mm-hmm. totally different. So it's obscuring the data that they needed to go to the problem more quickly. So this is just a real, real brief overview. We could talk about that and just a whole, whole lot more in just a second. We're going to take a quick little break and be right back with more. Ever plan to motor west? Travel my way, take the highway. That's... Hi, it's Louis Altazan from Agco Automotive. It's our 40-year anniversary, and the phone's been ringing off the hook with congrats from far and wide. Good day and congratulations from Buckingham Palace. Next time you're in London, Lewis, you must stop by for tea. I'm restoring an old Aston Martin and have some questions about the timing adjustments. Hope to see you soon. Lewis, it's your nanny. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I wanted to call and tell you how proud I am of you. Forty years is nothing to sneeze at. <laughs> Ho, ho, ho! Lewis! Fixing cars right the first time for over 40 years. You've been a very good boy. I think I have something special for you this year. Keep up the good work. See, calls from far and wide. I guess 40 years of high-quality work really means a lot to people and keeps me on the nice list. Now I can't wait for Christmas. Agco. After 40 years, it's still the place to go. Welcome back. If you just joined us in the Automotive Hour, I'm your host, Louis Aldezan, with Mr. Brian Terry. We certainly appreciate you spending your Saturday morning with us. And if you have a, if you have a question about anything, you give us a call. It's 291-6901, just in case you don't want to call in or something occurred to you later on during the week. Or even midnight. There you go. You can always go to our website, get your questions answered that way. The address is agcoauto.com. That is A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. 
there is a contact bar on each and every page. Just click the button, fill out the form, and send it in. There you go. Couldn't be easier. And while you're on there, take a look around. There's lots of questions on there that have already been answered, lots of detailed topics with information. Just about everything that we talk about on the Automotive Hour is also recapped on the website. Right. So if you hear something, you say, you know, I can't remember what it was they said. Of course, you go back to the podcast and listen to it again if you want it. Or you can go on the website and just hit the little search bar and type uh, that topic in and i'm sure right. there's going to be more than enough information there there will be quite a bit because there are probably a million words of text on that site so just about everything we've ever talked about is is on mu- there pretty much captured there <laughs> <laughs> so pop on there and see what you think of course we're talking about check engine lights today but we'll talk about any question you might have sure just because that's our topic for the day doesn't mean that's what you need to call about right we'll any, entertain that's right any question you might have squeaking belt squeaking brake you just let us know we'll glad to try to help you out and point you in the right direction and one of the things i find that people are most confused about their check engine light will come on right and immediately they are alarmed because mm-hmm. this light's never been on before it gets their attention right Normally, they will call the shop, and they'll make an appointment and say, I need to get the car in, or can I bring it in right now? And, of course, we generally can't see a car immediately, so you tell them, is the light flashing? Well, no, it's not flashing. Well, if it's not flashing, it's something that can wait a, but it needs, a few days until you get it in. It's, but it needs to be addressed. But it needs to be addressed. You can't right. ignore it. Now, if it's flashing, it's a different matter. But if, And see, that's something I don't think most people know either. That's right. Is a solid light means you've got a problem. Right. It needs to be taken care of. Right. A flashing light check engine light means stop the vehicle right now. That's right. Well, because a flashing light indicates that it's a misfire. And a misfire is bad because every time that cylinder misfires, a charge of gasoline goes or diesel, whatever whatever it is, as appropriate, goes right through and into the exhaust. Correct. And a catalytic converter is designed to burn up whatever comes out that tailpipe, but it's supposed to be dealing with gases oxides of nitrogen and all that it's supposed to incinerate those so they don't get out into the atmosphere Mm -hmm. you put a few squirts of gasoline in and this thing's already probably eight to twelve hundred degrees in temperature right it will fuel it will melt that converter in just a matter of moments right won't take long at all and that's why we see very often folks will have a misfire they will continue to drive the car once they get the car in you fix the initial problem and then two days later the cat PO420, PO430 pops up, catalyst below efficiency. And it's because the catalytic converter has been damaged by the misfire. Correct. That is very, very, very common. But most check engine lights, and again, there are about 2,000 things that they can turn set that light. One light. And only it, one light. That's right. So that's another thing to remember is that when the light comes on and you have it repaired, and let's say a month later, the light comes on again. It does not mean you have the same problem, although it could be. You have to have the initial code and initial data to go back and see if this is the same problem or if this is just another problem because no matter what goes wrong, the light's going to come on. There's only one light, right? so it's going to come back on again. And it's not uncommon at all for older cars to have check engine lights come on because all the sensors have been in there about the same amount of time. They've been exposed to the same amounts of things. And oftentimes, one thing will beget other things. Mm -hmm. So it's not uncommon for the light to come back on. But getting back to where I was going originally, what will happen, the light comes on, people are alarmed, they call, they make an appointment. Well, before their appointment comes around, what happens? The The light light goes back out. Goes back. Oh, it's fixed. (laughs) So they call and cancel the appointment. And generally, I'll say, well, no, it's still in history. It's not gone. It's going to come back. Well, but it's not on. Okay, fine. So they cancel the appointment. Mm -hmm. Well, then... 
two days later, bam, life's back on again. Well, now they're all alarmed again. But the problem that they get into, the car still runs okay, maybe two or three times through the cycle, and then they start to get frustrated, so they just ignore it. Right. And there is not one thing that's going to get better if you ignore it. It's all going to cause a problem sooner or later, even though you maybe don't notice it right now. It's going to manifest in some other form of problem because what a check engine light is, it's much like an early warning system. And people see it as an adversary. And there's all that light. It's check on. money light. Yeah, what can you, can, you, can, you cut it, can you cut the wires? No, 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 no. This light is trying to help you. It's telling you something's wrong with your car. Uh-huh. Something that is going to cause you a problem, and it's giving you an advance warning. Many times, this can give you a very, very advanced warning to where the actual symptoms, the actual breakdown may be months down the road. But it doesn't mean it should be ignored. For instance, let's take a, a lean code like we were talking about earlier. Well, the lean code, what will happen is that as the engine starts to lean out because of maybe a vacuum leak right. or maybe a airflow sensor that's not reading correctly, well, now the engine starts to lean out. Well, the oxygen sensors say, hey, we're too lean. So it tells the PCM, it tells the computer, we're too lean. This engine's too lean. We need to add fuel. The PCM is smart enough that what it can do is what they call fuel trim it will add additional fuel over and above what the calculations say even though it knows it's wrong it will do that to try to keep the engine running right up to a certain point up to a point the point varies car to car to car so let's say most chevrolet products or general motors products that threshold is about 25 percent okay when it starts adding 25 percent it's going to throw a light on now what's happening is it's adding 25 percent additional fuel so we've got a problem there Plus, we've got a check engine light because the vacuum leak or the mass airflow sensor or whatever. If you choose to ignore it because it cycles on, cycles off, then this is not going to get better. This is going to cause all kinds of other little ancillary problems down the road that are going to end up costing you just a whole, whole bunch more money. Now, why does the light go out? And that just depends on the strategy of the guy who programmed it. And I don't understand that because I wish they would just turn them on and leave them on. I think it would, it would serve people a lot better. But some codes are what they call two-trip codes. Mm -hmm. Some codes are three-trip codes. Now, what a trip is, a trip is defined as when you turn the key on and start the engine, and it runs for a certain period of time, then you turn it off. That's a trip. Correct. doesn't have anything to do how far you drove or anything else. It's on, cycle on, cycle off. And with some runtime in between. Right. So basically, it's a key cycle, on, run, off. That could be as little as three seconds that could be as much as three hours or more however many 13 hours if you're driving cross country somewhere but when a two-trip code occurs during a drive cycle instead of turning the light on what it does it stores what they call a pending code it puts it into a different part of memory and then it starts to watch it Mm -hmm. it starts to test for that continually now if the code does not occur again in the next drive cycle it just resets it if the code occurs twice in two consecutive drive cycles, then it turns light on. Right. Now, that's good and it's bad, I guess, in all kinds of ways. But the problem is it may take all sorts of criteria for this problem to occur. For instance, let's say we have an EVAP problem. That's a problem with the system that sucks the fumes out of the gas tank. Correct. Well, we're driving along, and it sees an EVAP problem, so it sets a pending code. Next drive cycle, problem occurs again. So it 
turns the turns light, on. light on. Right. And then after that, you call and you set you make your appointment and all that. In the meantime, you go fill your tank up with gas. Right. So well, next time you turn next crank the vehicle time you up, start it, no light. It's not going to run that test because it has a full tank of gas, so it's going to bar the test. Right. So the next two drive cycles, the problem does not occur because it hasn't run the test. It turns the light back off again. Oh, everything's great. It's fixed. Gets down to three-quarters of a tank, test executes again, wham, light comes back. So the, pro- the thing is, it, you have to understand the logic. Because the light is off does not mean the problem is gone. It just means it's not being tested for at this particular time. Right, and if it came on, it stores, like you said, it stores a code in memory that can be retrieved with a factory scan tool. Well, and a lot of people recall the old, old days prior to OBD2 where if the light wasn't on, you couldn't diagnose the problem. Uh-huh. And those days have long since been gone. Right, that was 1996. Yeah, and, right. and even before that on some models. Now what it does, it puts codes in history. It stores a freeze frame of what went on when the which light is, came Which on. is what all the sensors and the everything that the PCM is looking under at which the code is occurred. stored in that freeze frame mm-hmm. data. And later model cars store more data than older cars did. Right. But all that information is what the technician is going to use. For instance, if he goes in and he sees a certain code, he's going to look at the parameters. Okay, the car had just started. It was not up to operating temperature when this occurred. Well, he's going to start testing for certain things that have to do with a cold start. Mm -hmm. Let's say, okay, the problem occurred at full engine temperature and full throttle. Then he's going to start looking for things that would be under those conditions. That's why we always say never, ever disconnect the battery because, number one, it's not ever going to fix the problem. But, number two, it's going to destroy all of this data. Right. And it also – it will turn the light out. But, like you said, it will destroy it all might, the data. It turn the light out. It will destroy all the data that the mm-hmm. technician needs to fix this problem. Right. And it will come back. Because, see, some cars, like some of your Toyota products, once it latches a code, you can disconnect the battery you want it. The light's still going to stay on. That will not get rid of it. It's a latched code. It's in memory. It's an active memory. It's got its own internal backup on that. Right. And It'll it, stay. it is not going to go away, which – is probably a good thing but it, the, the point is you can't be lulled into a false sense of security when you see the light go off correct because it hasn't just fixed itself the only thing that and is always an exception to every single rule okay the only thing that will possibly rectify itself and light may go off is if you leave your gas cap loose when you start the car and it gets three quarters of a tank of gas it's gonna throw a gross evap leak because mm-hmm. it can't draw a vacuum on the tank right you go back, you tighten your gas cap down. The next couple of dry cycles, it's going to see the problems resolve, and it's going to clear it out, and it's going to move on, and light will not come back. Ford had a big issue with that. They went as far as actually putting a light on the dash that looked like a gas cap unscrewed out of the tank. Right. Because they had so big a problem with well, that. Well, and with those capless systems, boy, those, boy, those are something, aren't they? Horrible, horrible systems. We have to change those filler necks I think all the time. I think we've done two or three already in the last month. Yeah. Normally about one every other week or so we're, we're getting in with that, yeah. that capless system. And the filler neck itself goes bad, just won't seal off. So kind of a really, really bonehead system in my opinion. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, hey, we can take one more quick little break and be right back with more in the Automotive Hour. Hi folks, Louis Aldazan here from Agco Automotive. Our team is celebrating 40 years in business and we're getting congratulatory calls from all kinds of characters. And I do mean characters. Zoinks! You know, Louis, me and Scoob will never forget the time that you fixed the alignment on the mystery machine. 40 years is really far out, man. <laughs> Louis, there's a lot of lily-livered varmints out in the automotive world, but not of you. You're the best north, south, east, and west of the Pecos. Hats off to 40 years, partner. 
go! 40 years is almost higher than I can count. My only complaint is that you don't give away free donuts. <sighs> donuts. Well, it seems like high-quality automotive care in this day and age is still appreciated. I just can't believe all these characters really call. Oh, well, they always say I am quite an animated guy. Agco. After 40 years, it's still the place to go. Hey, welcome back. This is Jonas the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, Twin Tools, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Just give us a call. 291-6901 is the number. Got our lines wide open and plenty of time. So That's it. This is you a perfect know, time to call. We were talking check engine lights and things mm-hmm. like that, but mm-hmm. there are like 20-something different modules Mm-hmm. on a vehicle nowadays and each one of them kind of has their own reference light you spoke of the electronic brake control module that's right, right it has its own light that's correct there's airbag module right there's so many things on a car now that can turn a light on well there are there's just a number of lights and some of them people understand some of them they really don't the tire pressure monitoring system we were talking about last week that's basically a little computer system all sure around. sure and then there are Things like the transmission, which may turn the check engine light on, or sometimes it'll blink the little OD light, the little overdrive light, right. may blink as a warning to you. Some of them, the little drive, the little D, uh-huh. is the... In the Prindle? Yeah, that is the warning light for the transmission. That little D will start to blink. Right. You get your owner's manual out and look in the section under oh man it, it lost it's one there's a special oh, section panels. there's a special section in your manual that will describe these lights mm-hmm. and when they come on what you should do well there's just so many different ones and not all cars have all lights correct that's so, the problem you get in one car and it's got a light for this and the next car you get in doesn't and well and you got to understand what each light is checking and what it's not checking i know a lot of times folks will call and they'll say my check engine light came on and I checked the oil, and it was good. And I checked the coolant, and it was good. So I don't know why it's on. Right. Well, oil and coolant are not checked by the check engine light directly. Those have their own warning light. They have their own system. First, you have an oil pressure light. Many cars have an oil warning light, like a level light. Right. Some even have an oil change reminder light that tells you how many miles and all that kind of stuff that you need to change. So those have their own light they're not going to turn the check engine light when a check engine light comes on what it is is a malfunction in the engine management system right the emission system the emission system well just about everything affects emissions correct so, so that's that, therefore it turns out one broad, light on. yes the exception again like we talked about before every rule is going to have an exception if the oil pressure goes to zero on some of the more modern cars that may set a check engine light right because what happens is that the cam timing and all that is dependent on oil pressure. So if oil pressure starts to become erratic, drop out, and all that, it may set a check engine light as mm-hmm. well as the oil light. I had a Dodge come in the other day, and I had not seen this light prior, but the light, the code said oil viscosity wrong or improper oil viscosity. Really? Yes. And they've got it refined to the point where it can measure the pressure relative to the RPM, and it can infer the viscosity of the oil from that. Okay. And if it sees the wrong viscosity oil in the engine, it's going to set a check engine light. Because, again, the cam timing, the, the all the tensioners, all that stuff yes. is dependent on oil pressure. 
the oil pressure is dependent on the viscosity of the oil. So if you dump the wrong viscosity oil in the engine, you may set a check engine light on some engines now. And like I said, I had not run across that before. When I was reading in service data the different things that could cause this light, number one, of course, was the wrong oil being put into the engine. Mm-hmm. But also things like, for instance, if you had an intake manifold leak and coolant leaked in the oil. Because ethylene glycol is going to vastly change, change the, viscosity. the viscosity of the oil. Right. Another thing is if you go too long between your oil changes, because oil can have viscosity shear, which starts to break down over a period of time. Right. And if the viscosity gets off, you may get a check engine light for that mm-hmm. exact purpose. And it's just they get smarter and smarter and smarter with these different lights, and they can infer more and more data from the data that they have. And all the sensors kind of work together now. That's why when you go in and you take any one sensor out of context without understanding how the entire system is functioning, you're just going to go so far wrong that you're just not going to be able to catch up. I remember we had a vehicle one time, and it was setting a, I think, a cam sensor code. Okay. And anyway, the gentleman had replaced the cam sensor. He had replaced the wiring harness. He, I think he may have even changed the PCM, but the code kept setting cam sensor code. What we found was it was the crank sensor was bad. Right. And what it was doing is that it was when it did not get a crank sensor because it needed that to start, the computer would cam sensor. It would look at the cam sensor and say, "Okay, we know the cam's turning half as fast as the crank. So if we multiply this times two. This is a number we can work with to run." Correct. But it also knew that there was a problem. It did not see the crank sensor not working. It set a cam sensor code. So you have to understand how these two sensors work one with the other. Right. Because if you just take the code literally, you go in and you replace the wrong sensor, you haven't done any good at all. And may have caused harm. Well, let's go back to our initial thing we were talking about where you go get a sensor in the parts store. Maybe it's the wrong sensor. Maybe it's just a junk sensor. You put it in. Well, now the car won't start at all because it doesn't have a crank sensor or a cam sensor. <laughs> right. Or at worst, a PCM. Yeah. Because once you put a PCM in a modern car, it's married to that car. That's right. It has a one sign-in deal. It signs, it signs the VIN number as soon as it sees it. Mm-hmm. And it writes it, and then it's locked out. There's well, no more access to that file. That's right. And more and more what they do when the PCM comes online, it will marry to the BCM. Those two will look at each other, and they will take and share codes, store codes, match them to each other. So I've seen instances where if you put a BCM into a car with a PCM problem, and what all this acronyms mean, Uh PCM is power control module, which is the engine computer, BCM is body control module. Right. But let's say you go in and you replace the body control module, but the fault was in the power control module. The new body module will go out and it will grab that data from the from the bad PCM, bad PCM, and put it in. Right. Okay. So now it's still going to have the same problem. When you go and replace the PCM, the BCM is still going to read wrong, and new PCM may grab the old data out of the BCM and it just goes round and round a circle. Right. So if you're not replacing them both at the same you time, you have to end up replacing both components at the same time and then there's some programming that has to be done well everything's going to need to be reprogrammed because all of this stuff kind of wakes up dumb it's right. got to have a program put into it to operate like any computer if you ever just turn the computer on and of course they automatically load all the stuff that uh-huh. they need to operate but 
anyone as old as me who can remember when it used to come up with a c-prompt <laughs> yeah well with that c-prompt you can't get a lot done no i mean you can type in a few rudimentary codes and maybe access the hard drive or access this or access that but you can't do any work with a computer without the software because the software is, is what, what makes, makes it everything work. operate uh-huh and it's the same exact thing on an automobile it's a computer it's zeros and ones now it's got one program that tells it okay these zeros mean this these ones these combinations mean these things mm-hmm. another program is handling communication with the other computers another program is hand- just like windows it has multiple levels of programs in there that are doing different things one's communicating with the printer one's communicating with the hard drive one is putting stuff up on the screen for you and and so on and so forth is that well it's the same exact thing on your engine computer and your body control module and all the other computers on your car all these different levels of programming are going on in there right and all that has to to make correct it has to be correct between the modules or are you going to get a check engine light well that's right and what happens is very often there is some type of a fault or flaw or problem that occurs in the programming just like with windows right a software issue a software issue what will happen is that the manufacturer will issue a software update for that and we can go in and we can load this update onto your computer and it may solve all sorts of problems that you've been having since right. you own the car possibly right like you were saying it came out with a software update mm-hmm. which if you read the update it says it will fix this 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 and this that's right and if should you happen to be having a problem with that this software issue program the should update fix it. will fix those problems now you got to remember too a flash update is not a silver bullet no and with no, everything it fixes it may create other problems too so you got to be a little careful that which you, you get what you want but you might get what you don't want <laughs> <laughs> we see that quite a bit hey we're going to take one more quick little break steve and john hang on you guys will be up straight after this break hi folks lewis aldazan here from agco automotive This year we celebrate 40 years in business, and man, I can't believe all the calls we receive from national dignitaries. Lewis, it's the governor. I'm taking time out from my new movie to congratulate you on 40 years. I got to run, but I'll be back. Lewis, hey, I'm playing golf with an old friend, and we wanted to call and say that 40 years is quite a run. Lewis, that is absolutely splendorific. <laughs> hey, Lewis, James here, 40 years, wow. You know, there's nothing more I like than a good homegrown Louisiana success story, except, well, maybe politicking and my tigers. You up now, you hear? Well, I'm flattered. I guess even in the world of politics, honesty and integrity are still something to value. Okay, well, maybe outside the world of politics. Agco. After 40 years, it's still the place to go. Hey, welcome back to the final segment of the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Lewis Alders, and with Mr. Brian Terry. Between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Go ahead and give us calls. 291-6901. Got all our lines lit up. We're going to the line with Steve. Good morning, Steve. Good morning. I would give you an Elvis Presley impersonation for your congratulations, but that would be kind of odd to do. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, congratulations there, Lewis. Well, thank you. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey, look, question for you, real quick. 2004 Chevy Silverado, mm-hmm. 219,000 miles. Okay. I got it with about 92,000 miles. It runs like a top air conditioner, blows cold. I'm having some transmission issues. Okay. 
when I first got it, if you stop at a red light, if you wouldn't take your foot off the brake and let it go down to first gear, right. it would try to slip. Okay. Well, now you can be driving it, and which I haven't done in a while. You can drive it, and all of a sudden, it just will not go forward, reverse, nothing. Hmm. Had to have it towed in. Right? So look, then I, I have it towed to the house. I go out just to drive around the neighborhood right. to see what was going on, because right. I wasn't in it the day it happened. And it runs man, perfect. Yeah, Different yeah, time. yeah. So what are you thinking is now it's back to square one and I'm trying to figure out what to do. Well, you just need to get to somebody who knows what they're doing and they can scan. There's going to be some code stored in the transmission control module and that may not be a transmission problem, believe it or not. There are some electrical issues that can do that because that transmission is 100% shifted by a computer. It's just a bunch of solenoids in there. Computer grounds them, causes it to shift. That can be one thing that can do that. Well, one other thing, too, just as you said that, mm-hmm. my oil pressure gauge has gone out and my speed limit, my speedometer went out. I well, was told it was you a what. computer issue. Well, maybe not. You, you might check. I know the ignition switch on those can go out, and it can go out on one circuit, and that circuit is going to control the shifting of the transmission. It may control some of these other gauges and stuff. So something as simple as an ignition switch can cause all of that. You just oh, need you're to get my language. Yeah, you need to get that to someone who knows what they're doing. They're going to be able to tell from the codes that are stored where to start looking, and they just need to do some tests. They can do a pressure test on it and see. Now, is another thing, of course, the filter could be plugging up on the transmission because what's happening is the transmission is generating a bunch of debris. The filter plugs. It won't go. You turn it off. The fluid runs back, kind of washes the filter out temporarily. It'll go some okay. more. So there's all kinds of possibilities. The point is, you need to get that to the right guy who knows what he's doing and is honest. Is not going to try to sell you a transmission right off the bat. Because oh, well, that could anywhere, easily, Is that, there anywhere in Denham Springs you could suggest? I don't suggest anybody but myself. Okay. <laughs> You're going to have well, to make you know, a trip to Baton Rouge. Well, <laughs> but see, yeah, I'm, I'm sure about. there are. You right. just you just need to pick somebody that you trust and somebody who knows what they're doing. Because if you get okay. that to the wrong guy, you can end up with a transmission that you maybe don't need and still have some problem. Well, and I can tell you, it's worth a tow bill. Yeah. Go ahead and well, pay yeah, a tow well, truck and don't try to drive it. Yeah, because you well, that's may. That's why I'm not going to do that. Yeah. yeah. yeah you Look, may... It's worth every bit of 70 to $90 to pay well, right. back. Well, I mean, yeah. Yeah, because you yeah, can well, take look, a small problem. I will definitely I'm going to call Adco first Tuesday morning. You guys have a great Labor Day weekend, and go Tigers. <laughs> All right, Steve. Thank thanks, you. man. Right, thank Bye-bye. Uh-huh. All right, going back to our phone lines, we got John online. Good morning, John. Hi, John from Calling. Hey, John, how are you this morning? Good. How are you, fellas? Doing great. Doing man. great. Good. you get rid of your humidity yet? <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> By the way, we've had it almost as bad as you here. I mean, we've been really under a lot of humidity, but anyway, that's unusual. Mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway, my question, my cousin passed away, and he had a 2006 Lincoln Zephyr, and okay. he's just left it to me, and it's it's like an hour and a half from here, and I need to get it, and now it's been sitting in a garage. It's pretty, I'm sure the best dead everything's been sitting, mm-hmm. and I'm just wondering, what would you suggest as far as to get it going I, I, so I can bring it back here and get it serviced properly with a mechanic? I know, I've got it on a, a jumper battery uh, that I can put on it. Yeah. But, uh, John, is it, too, it, is it too far to make towing it impractical? It'd be very expensive. Okay. I had a car towed. I had a car towed. Before. It got wrecked on the 401 yeah. in Toronto, Maine, uh, thing, and it cost, and it cost me $600. Wow, wow. <laughs> How about maybe renting a trailer and putting it on? Is that a possibility or no? I guess that may be the way, yeah. Uh, 
or get or get a somebody dolly. local to yeah. basically get somebody local to service it and take it somewhere. You, in you could do Canada. that as well. It's just I was thinking yeah. if you don't know anyone in the, in the area, but yeah, I think like you said, at very least you're going to be into an oil change and a battery, and that would probably get you where you're going. And then I would probably look at most of the other fluids, transmission fluid, and all those sorts of things, and just have someone go over and do a good general inspection for you. See what other I should probably just buy a battery and take it to it because um, it's in a container. It's not. It's not anywhere where I can really do much. But yeah, I got a new a new battery and shoved it in to get it started. And then yeah, from not there. a bad idea. And I would probably take it immediately and get some gas. Uh, yeah, I was thinking that the fuel's going to be deader than a doornail. It is. Right. It My is. Town. And you're not going to be able to drain the tank. So what you want to do is add some fresh fuel to it, and then yes. keep doing that. Just keep diluting it with fresh fuel, and that should get you going. All right. Well, thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Always nice to talk with you. Thanks Thanks for calling me in. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Oh, John from Toronto. That's a fine guy. Always glad to hear when he calls. Yeah. Let's go back to our line. We've got Clark's been patiently holding. Good morning, Clark. Hey, good morning, guys. Kind of interesting that you guys talked about the sensors a little while ago. Uh I've got a 2008 CRV. Uh Uh-huh. Every now and then, the drive light starts blinking. Yeah. yeah. And I figured, again, I kind of looked online, and it said something about sensors. Happened yesterday with my wife going to New Orleans, and I just told her to pull over and stop, turn it off, mm-hmm. turn it back on. She right. did that. Light went away, you know? It will, because it resets. It moves the code to history. It's still in mm-hmm. there. It's just moved to history, and then it starts watching it again. And until it occurs again, what we see on that one, Clark, what year model did you say it was? 2008. 2008. What we see on that one more than anything, more than the sensors, is there are some solenoids up on the top of the transmission. Pretty easy to change, but we've changed those solenoids a whole lot more than we do any of the sensors. Most of the sensors on that one are internal to the transmission, although there's a speed sensor on the outside. But generally, when the speed sensor goes out, your cruise control is going to drop out, your ABS light's going to pop on, your speedometer's going to start acting crazy and all that. And you didn't mention any of those things. So more likely, Honda's had a few issues with those solenoids on the transmission. Just need to get to someone who knows what they're doing. Have them scan the code. Then they can do a pressure test to verify what it is and which one it is. A lot of times you can replace those solenoids on the outside transmission and fix that problem. Okay. Yeah, but now, gotta, you can't gotta, let it go because if you let it go, you will end up with a new transmission. Okay. I've got a tool. I didn't even think about hooking it up and seeing if they're what the codes were. Yeah, just don't don't do any kind of clearing or anything. Leave everything in there exactly sure. like it is, because the tech yeah. who checks is going to need all that information. Right. It right. may set something real weird that you can't interpret as a solenoid code. In other words, it may set like speed range error or something like that. The reason it does that is because it's wanting to go to another gear, and the solenoid is not opening, so it's not. So the speed is improper relative to the speed of the vehicle. And there's a turbine speed on transmission is improper relative to speed. So sometimes it'll set an internal turbine code. It'll set a, all kinds of weird codes that don't really seem to relate back to the solenoid. But most of the time, I, I can't say every time, but most of the time we end up changing solenoids to fix that problem. What's the range for that usually? Probably two or three hundred dollars with diagnosis and everything. I mean, it's not a huge, huge deal. And I would probably go ahead and do a service on transmission at the same time if it hadn't been done recently. Yeah, I think we did it last year on that one. Mm-hmm. And I, I have to check. Yeah, we did it with you guys at that Yeah, place. if it's been serviced recently, then you could probably get by just with a solenoid. It, sometimes mm-hmm. it'll just be an electrical problem. Sometimes the solenoid is mechanically stuck. I mean, of course, it could be something inside the transmission as well, but 
Honda's had a lot, lot less transmission problems after 04. Back before, like in 03, back to 98, they had a tremendous number of uh, transmission problems, but they seem to have gotten those resolved. We really don't see too many internal transmission problems after the 04 models. Well, the car's running fine. I mean, they're... Mm-hmm. It's just that blinking light came on. It's only done it a couple of times. Yeah, most it? likely it's trying to command something. It could, mm-hmm. it could be a, there's a lockup solenoid. There's some shift solenoids. See, it may not be going to lockup. It may not be going fully to lockup because the solenoid okay. may not be opening. And what's happening is the torque converter is slipping slightly. Now, number mm-hmm. one, it'll cut your fuel mileage down. But number two, it also overheats the transmission because that constant slipping is generating right. uh, internal yeah. friction. So it's one of those things that. Two or three hundred bucks you can fix, and if you let it go, it turns into a four thousand dollar problem. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. All right. All right. You guys have a good day. Good right, man. Thanks, man. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye. All right. Two nine one sixty nine zero one is the number. If you're part of the automotive, right? we still got a few minutes. We we'll try to get you squeezed on in there. And that is a very good example of what we were talking about today. Well, it is, and what happens because the car still seems to run good, seems to shift good. And infrequently comes on. Right. It's real easy to just say, well, let's just ignore it. Well, what some people consider a problem, some people consider, well, we'll just let it go. And Right. But what can happen, like with the torque converter solenoid, if it's not locking in fully or not locking in at all, well, the torque converter is sitting there slipping going down the road. Uh-huh. So, as I said, it will cut your fuel mileage down, not a huge amount, but a mile or two per gallon. But it also generates a whole lot more heat because now this turbine is sitting there slipping all the time rather than being being locked locked up up. like it's supposed to be. That additional heat breaks down the fluid, which can cause lubrication-related problems, end up burning up a transmission. Right. So not only that, but the torque converter itself can end up failing, which means the transmission has got to come out of the car. Exactly. And when the torque converter fails, rarely is it just the torque converter failed. Because the metal and all in that torque converter comes out, comes apart, it circulates with the fluid through the transmission. Into every little nook and cranny and valve and solenoid and well, everything else in there. And the first thing you know is it quits shifting. Well, it quits shifting because we've got a valve and the valve body stuck. Right. And on a Honda, you got to take transmission out of the car, disassemble a transmission to get to the valve body. Not only that, this metal is all stuck in everything. So the first sign of a serious problem is the transmission quit shifting right and that's not because of anything except that the metal generated from the torque converter because torque converter wasn't locked up because solenoid was bad has now and the little light was flashing and somebody ignored it right right now ruined the transmission so again you take a two three hundred dollar problem and you turn it into a four thousand dollar problem i don't know if most people have ever seen a transmission fully disassembled on a workbench that's a lot of but i tell you what <laughs> it covers two workbenches oh yeah yeah there's two like, six foot workbenches there is a number of components in there and they all have to go back in a precise place the precise measurements and oh mm-hmm. it, it's a it's a fantastic thing to watch somebody oh, really that knows is. what they're doing. And the inside Build of a one. transmission is much like the inside of an air conditioner. It has to be almost sterile right. to really operate as it should and continue to operate as it should. And if you get any metal or debris in there, it's going to have some pretty oh. serious problems pretty doggone quick. So yep. I see we are just about out of time. We need to start rounding it on up. Tell everybody how much we appreciate them listening this morning and every Saturday morning on Automotive Hour. I'd like to thank all our podcasters for listening this week and every week. And Tell your friends, go to your favorite rebroadcast service and give us a listen. That's right. If you give us a written review, that'll move us up in the ratings. And that way, more people can listen and we can keep doing the show. And we really appreciate it as well. Preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend.